You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Yes, training camps have started, but even more importantly, the pads have started cracking for almost every team in the league. So, very exciting time. We're going to talk a little bit about you know some of the injuries that have happened. That's the unfortunate side of training camp opening up. We'll talk about those in a minute. But first, let's bring in our guest. Joining us now from Notre Dame College in Ohio, six foot four, three hundred and twenty pound offensive lineman, D two All American, number sixty seven in your program, number one in your heart, Jimmy Burchett. How you doing, Jimmy? <laughs> I love the answer, man. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Here. All right. I'm guessing that a lot of our fans aren't real familiar with Notre Dame College in Ohio. So if you could just describe the essence of the place. And then what makes it the best place for you? Yeah, absolutely. For everyone that doesn't know, Notre Dame, Notre Dame College is a uh, small Division II school outside of Cleveland in the South Euclid area. We're just now actually having our 13th year of even having a football program. We've had some pretty good success making it uh, to the Final Four and the Elite Eight in the past couple of years. What makes Notre Dame College so special is just the family atmosphere that everyone brings to you, whether it be another student or the teachers or even coaches from different sports. Everyone just wants you to become the best that you can. And the reason I really say it's the best place for me is just what I said right there. It's just the environment itself is just so loving and accepting for who who you are. We have programs for everyone to be themselves and express themselves. It's just a, a happy place to be. When you meet people at first and you say, hey, I, I play football at Notre Dame College, do a lot of people mistake it for the Fighting Irish? <laughs> More than you know. I, that was a that was a big thing in high school. Whenever you had to commit, when, uh, when I was committed here and I was telling people what school I was committed to, they were always, oh, my goodness, the Fighting Irish, I can't wait to watch you. And I was just, I always have to be like, no, no, it's a smaller one, you know. But, <laughs> yeah, they, they mix it up quite a bit. What was the main reason you chose Notre Dame College? I'm sure you had a couple of other offers. What led you down this path to Ohio? There's a thing that I did in high school that I would actually recommend a lot of seniors and even juniors in high school to do if they're having trouble deciding on where they want to go to school is you, you want to make a list to about three to five things that are important to you. And back in high school, my senior year, the three things that are important to me was my family, my education, and being on a good football team. And those were three things that I really wanted. And when the coaches came in to talk to me about it, everything aligned where it was only about an hour and a half away from me. Uh, they had good football here. And I, I went to a Catholic school my whole life. So I was I knew what I was getting into coming into this school. And those were just great reasons for me. And I love the coaching staff. And you could tell that it wasn't just a coaching staff where they were trying to get players. You know, they were really – they're really looking for people to represent the school as a, as a whole, and it stuck out to me. We're curious. I mean, since you're born and raised in Ohio, are you a Cleveland Browns fan? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I love all things Cleveland. This time to be a Browns fan is right now, though, I think. There's, there's a real promising future happening over there. 
Absolutely. I mean, they look like Super Bowl contenders. I think, you know, people are going crazy right now. Are you a Joe Thomas fan? Was that your favorite player of all time? Of all time for the Browns, Joe Thomas is definitely up there. I'm a sucker because, believe it or not, back in the day uh, when I played football from kindergarten through fourth grade, I was actually the running back on the team. So (laughs) my family had a huge connection and liked watching Jim Brown. So that was actually a big fan of mine growing up as well. But when I converted over to being an offensive lineman, I loved watching Joe Thomas. He's an outlier, you know. It's not like every day someone's there for 10-plus years in the NFL making Pro Bowls every year. So I was blessed being able to watch him every Sunday. How big were you as a running back? <laughs> I, I had a growth spurt early, so I was about like 68 inches taller than everyone out there. And I remember in fourth grade, I was uh, 5'7", 115 pounds because the weight limit was 115 pounds. So I, I grew a little bit <laughs> at an early age. So you must be pretty athletic. You know, usually offensive linemen, like, convert. Maybe they're, like, linebackers, maybe, like, defensive linemen. You were a running back, so you you must be pretty athletic. Yeah, that's something we pride ourselves on over here. You know, the whole the whole offensive line, we, we like to preach that we're not big guys. We're just big skills, you know. <laughs> they need to put the ATH next to our name as athletes for our position, you know. <laughs> So, Jim, in this day and age of specialization, I mean, in high school, I read you played baseball, you were a wrestler, uh, you were part of the track and field team. How did each of these sports help you become a better football player? They definitely all played their own role in becoming better at football because I think in each sport, even as something that is track and field where it can be more individually based, you still have a team, and the team aspect is huge. And especially with playing baseball when I was a pitcher, you're always trying to look for the ideal situation to get you out of something. So you're always on your toes and you're always thinking about what I could do to get me out of this bad situation as quick as possible. And things like that just help convert over to football where if there's a bad alignment or something that you're not too, too familiar with that showed up on film, you you really got to break it down in a split second to see what the best solution could be. And with that being said, also with track and field, I was a I was a shot putter, discus, and we just did our warm up track. So I mostly I mostly did that just to stay in great condition for football. Now it definitely helped with explosion. But uh, what I would say is what probably helped me the most in high school was my wrestling background. Just because when I came to college, it's just everything became second nature with hand placement and trying to get inside. And I was honestly shocked at how much it really affects you and being able to stay low and converting your weight into different parts of your body when you need to. So wrestling helped a lot. And I'm, I'm very happy that my parents pushed me towards being a multiple sport athlete in high school. It seems like some of the best, you know, offensive linemen in the NFL used to be pretty good wrestlers back in high school. <laughs> yeah, I, I that might be the key to it then, you know, because a lot of those guys are real strong and have real real good understanding of their body and their movements and how to get people out of holes and put them where they need to. That's pretty much wrestling. you you got to feel when the momentum shifts and when something's coming and would be the best time to approach it. And So, yeah, I definitely believe that. Jimmy, how good of a wrestler were you back in high school? Um, I wasn't nothing too outstanding. I was I was okay. I had a winning record and everything. I wasn't state wrestler or anything, but I was able to make it to the districts a couple of years, and I had some fun with it for sure. I was a little bit different though. I was a uh, 
when I wrestled, I was 182 pounds, so <laughs> it's a different body. Yeah, you're not going to hear too many coaches, football coaches, complain about their offensive linemen being wrestlers. That's always a big key. Now, the last couple of years at Notre Dame, you guys have been kind of like an offensive machine. I mean, scoring points at, at will, it seems like. Uh, this past year, you had a short season, you know, 6-0, and Mountain East champs, 54 points a game. But in 2019, and I'll share with you why I bring this up, you were Division II, you know, CCA All-American. Uh, team scored like 70 touchdowns. You get to the quarters against uh, Slippery Rock. Now, we recently had uh, Jermaine Wynn, wide receiver from Slippery Rock, on, and uh, he was part of this game. It was, like I said, it was the Division II quarters, and you ended up losing 65-59. to 59. But, you know, in a crazy game like that, what's your most vivid memory as an offensive lineman being in that kind of shootout? So there's a couple of things that stick out to me when you ask that. Something that's huge to me is what people don't realize is we were losing that game pretty badly. When you look at the final score and it's only lost by six, like, that's a testament in itself that we were ones to never give up. There was a point in that time where I think we were down 21, 24 points. It was right about around halftime. And then you could just – you felt the momentum shift, and there was kind of like a click to it. And that's something where, like, I, you, you feel every once in a while when you need to, but that was something that stuck out to me is that we were able to turn it on. But, unfortunately, we're, we turned it on a little too late. And uh, a memory that sticks out to me more than anything is when we got back to the locker room, uh, my teammate Brandon Nicholson – and a couple of my other uh, other offensive line buddies and even a couple wide receivers on the team, they walked up to me. And it's all people that are going to be seniors this year, too. And they all just said, remember this feeling. We're not going to feel that again. As, as much as I want to say maybe something on the field was my most memorable thing of that game, I think the after effects and knowing that feeling and not want to feel it again is what sticks with me most. Jimmy, when you look back at your career, what's the highlight? What stands out to you? Maybe a game or a play? Is there something in your memory bank? Well, a play that will forever stick out to me is uh, in the Final Four during my sophomore season. There was a screenplay called for me to get out to the edge, and we were having issues with this linebacker. He was number 47. I still remember it. Uh, we were having issues. He was having a real good game, and he was frustrating us, and I was able to get a real good hit on him. And, Decleated him a little bit, and that was on Sports Center, and they gave me a shout out for it and everything. So that was a pretty cool time. But as far as the game would go, I would probably say this past season and doing something that no one has done in MEC history before, and that be outright champions because of a, a championship game. COVID, it, it affected a lot of things, and especially our season. So we weren't able to play every team in our conference to determine, like, if you went 11-0, obviously you're going to win it. But this year, since we split it into a North and South division, they took a champion in each North and South team and then played for an outright championship, which has never happened before in MEC history, and I don't think it will ever happen again. That's a pretty cool thing that I can say. Also, not many offensive linemen make it on Sports Center. I mean, that, that's not something you see every day. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty cool. I was very I was very happy when I saw that. You know, we, we came back to our school and everything after that game, and I watched it on replay, and I didn't even know about it. And then I just came out of nowhere. And so, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Had my name up on the screen and everything. So you're a captain for your team. Uh, talk to us about your leadership style, and how do you inspire the other guys on the squad? 
being a captain is a great honor. It's just knowing that with all your brothers and all your friends out there on the football team that they look to you to be a leader and to show them how to go in the right way, that's, that's something I take to heart. So I've been a captain for two years now, and I, I don't take that lightly, you know. And I, I would say my leadership style is strictly somebody who leads by example. I don't want to be the person to tell you what to do and then not do it, you know, or someone that's like, oh, trust me, I, I did this in the past, and that's what got me to be here. Like, so you need to do that. No, I'm somebody who I want you to see me to do it, and then you realize that's how you're supposed to do it. I pride myself on coming to a football practice, and I try to be the first one there every morning. So I wake up at around 5.45 a.m., and first one to get my ankles taped, and first one over at at our uh, football meeting room. So just if it's little things like that or or if it's afterwards trying to stick around and help out some of the freshmen, the sooner you realize you can't win it by yourself and you need a whole team, the sooner you'll have good success. But, like, offensive linemen don't get the attention that quarterbacks get or running backs or wide receivers. I mean, you guys just go to work every day in the trenches. How do you handle that, just not being as recognized as some of these other guys who, who play other positions yeah it definitely takes your toll on you sometimes when uh when you can be the uh the whole unit that'll allow your guy to go about 10 yards downfield before getting touched and then they get all the recognition for it but something that's definitely taken me at ease for the past couple seasons for me is you, you'll never see anyone on our team not be grateful for the efforts that we put in and then it's likewise. We're grateful for all the efforts that they put in for us and make. There's still plays where we do bad and they make us look good. So it's a lot of give and take. So at the end of the day, they do get more recognition, but they do a great job of sharing the love. And at the end of the day, we're just here to win championships. What do you enjoy more as an offensive lineman? Do you love to run block or pass block, and and why? Now I would probably say pass blocking is my favorite part of my, just because. You can see how much of a game it'll affect just by picking up a stunt the proper way or noticing if there's an edge blitz or if somebody is aligned in a different way that stunt through a different gap that they normally don't. It's interesting to see if you can pick it up before it even happens, how much it changes the other team's game plan. And you, you notice that in playoff football a lot because they'll think they have a good game plan coming in to come up against you. And then in the first two quarters, they've tried it about five to six times. And when none of them get through in the second half, they don't even try it anymore. And now they're thinking of a new game plan and questioning themselves. So I I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. (laughs) Do you enjoy pass blocking more now because you've you've developed more of an IQ for the game? I mean, you understand it a little bit more than back in high school? Yeah, 100%. And with that being said, like back in my sophomore year, I had – the two-time academic All-American center right next to me, so I never really had to worry about getting the plays up or anything. He, he always had my back there. And then last year, it was he graduated, so it was more on my part to be that man in that role. So I think stepping up to that role definitely helped me adapt and learn the game to a different level. And yeah, I would definitely say that's why I like pass blocking a lot. I just I like physically outsmarting other people. Do you think run blocking is easier than pass blocking? Uh, yeah. Run blocking, it's a lot of footwork, but you can get away with less footwork as long as you're physically, as long as you've been physically gained in the weight room as well. But with pass blocking, no matter how strong you are, you're going to need that technique or else you're going to end up on your butt. (laughs) 
So I'm a, I'm a technician in my game. I guess that's how I would describe myself. You had mentioned your family a few different times, Jimmy. Uh, what role uh, is your family played in your football journey? <laughs> the biggest role, I'd say. I, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for them. They're the most supportive group that I have. And that's not even just like my immediate family with my mom and brother and two sisters. It goes as far out to like my cousins and uncles and everyone like that. Not even my family family, but my friends that I consider family. They just much love and guidance there that they're just hoping for the best out of me. And I don't know, I feel like I'd be disappointed if I wasn't trying to do my absolute best and playing every game, you know. Do you have any, like, pregame rituals? I mean, some athletes do, like, the weirdest things, and everybody has, has a ritual, I guess, at some point. Some are more extreme <laughs> than others. What about you? Do you have any? As far as extreme rituals go, not really. Uh, the only thing I would really say is I get about two to three songs that I add to my playlist uh, the day before game day, and it's just things that really help me. Stay relaxed, you know. I don't want to get too anxious and go out there and just forget what I'm doing and just get lost in the moment. So I like staying relaxed. So there's always a few different songs that I get every week. I just listen to them on repeat and I'll stretch a little bit and open up the playbook and try to get ready. So what's on the playlist, Jimmy, for that you know upcoming game? Uh, what what songs are usually the ones that motivate you? Oh man, it's something different every week, honestly, but. I don't know. I'm, I'm a different kind of music listener. I don't like all that all that mainstream stuff. So I listen to more John Bellion and like Quinn and people like that. Like I don't know if you're even familiar with them. <laughs> Hello, are you familiar? I would say not so much. Uh, again, I'm about uh, many many years removed from college, and uh, yeah, my playlist might be a little bit different. There's been times they've asked me to get on the speaker for pregame. I'm like, trust me, guys, you do not want that. <laughs> Offensive line rooms, you know, are notoriously, you know, a little nutty. Offensive linemen seem to always have the best stories. Can can you share maybe one with us from you and your buddies? Yeah, I would definitely agree with you that the O line is definitely the most interesting group on the team for sure, and that that's the case with most places that you go. Nutty stories. I would want to think of ones where I want to be getting some of my guys in trouble, you know. <laughs> but as far as, like, a funny story that's pretty relevant uh, sticks out just because it happened recently over this COVID year was one of our freshmen, Marco, we did film, and since COVID restrictions and everything, we're only allowed having a certain amount of people in the room before our capacity to be reached. So what we were doing is with the freshmen, they'd be on Zoom, but whoever would have a good week of practice would be able to come to, like, the meeting in person and everything. And uh, I just remember he got so excited for that that he showed up with five extra-large pizzas for the for the film room. So that's, that's kind of how he, he stuck out. At, that's his freshman story where he came in and fed all the all the upper classmen with his pizza because he was excited to be there. So that's just something I appreciate out of him. So he fed every starting lineman in the room. Yeah, exactly. We we, we had about like six to eight pieces apiece, so he, he did good on the judgment. <laughs> so that was enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the time being, you know, and then we got out of the film and had to the calf and unload on the buffet a little bit, you know. <laughs> Through the draft process, a uh, guy by the name of Quinn Miners, a D3 uh, offensive lineman from Wisconsin Whitewater, became kind of a, a household term out there. Uh, it was a sensation at the 
senior bowl, the, the belly, right? Eventually he gets drafted <laughs> by Denver this year in the third round. What did you feel about that? And then also what type of inspiration do you draw from his path? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's somebody that I'm super familiar with as well. I was watching his journey all past this year. And that's actually someone that I was looking at more or less more than I was the D1 guys, just because this is the shoes that I would have to follow and I'd be honored to follow, really. But he did a great job at presenting himself and being relaxed when he was there. And I'll I'll tell you what, that dude made the most of his opportunity. Every chance he was up, he was doing great things and putting in great work. So I have nothing but respect for what he did, especially coming from the D3 school. It it definitely gives a a little bit more hope to me and all the – other small school guys that there's still a good chance for us out there as long as we perform. What do you think makes a successful offensive lineman on any level? What are a couple of traits, a couple of characteristics that you just, you need to have? A couple of characteristics you would really need is just the hunger to want to learn more, you know, can't ever get satisfied or feel like you've known enough just because the game's always adapting and so are teams when it comes to playing against you you know if you put up 55 points on the team in a season they, they might not try the same thing that they did last year you know so you always got to be ready and expect the unexpected but with that being said I would say what makes an offensive lineman be good at what they do is really understanding the playbook and understanding what's in front of you because if you're out there questioning yourself what you're doing there's no way you're going 100 percent. so the quicker you can realize what's in front of you and how to block it and not question yourself about it it's going to change your game speed so much and it's something that you will notice too it's something that all freshmen going into their sophomore year notice when they get more comfortable with the playbook and that's something i've been able to notice each and every year and hopefully i'll keep on getting better with it you know all right, we got to put you on the spot here. Do you think an offensive lineman should have quick, light feet or strong hands? What do you think is is more important? Out of those, I would say it's dependent on your position. As far as tackles go, you kind of want to be lighter on your feet because you got those dudes on the edge that run four fours, four fives, and they're coming at two hundred and sixty pounds, moving like running backs. So you're going to want to be quick on your feet to be able to get in good position to anchor down and whatever you have to do or react to it, however it may be. But maybe on the inside, you want to be a little bit more heavy, heavy handed just because those, those nose guards and D tackles are sitting around 280, 300 pounds. And, but then you got those outliers like Aaron Donald, who's got the best of both worlds where he's the strongest and the fastest. So <laughs> it's even, you know, you want to, you want to have quick feet and you want to have strong hands, but I'd say it's position dependent. Can you play left tackle or right tackle? I mean, obviously you play guard. Uh, Can you play uh, on the bookends? Back in high school, I actually only played right tackle for four years. I I started as a freshman, and I played right tackle for four years straight in high school. And then when I came to college, I was like, they kind of told me, they were like, yeah, we might want to see what you're like on the inside. And I quickly noticed, like, you know, being like six three, six four isn't really that big anymore. <laughs> you know, like there's some, there's some big bubbles over here. So I converted back to the inside, and I mean, the rest is history. I just love it in there. I think being able to use my outside ability and always focusing on edge threats and paying attention to the second level, and now when I move into guard, it's kind of second nature for me to still think about those things. 
So I like it. Yeah, I can do that. And then I try to get some reps in at center during practice and stuff as well, make sure my snaps stay good, because you never know what's going to happen in the game. We want to find out what kind of a team are you guys going to have this year? What are the expectations for this upcoming season? The expectations are simple. You know, it's, it's national championship or nothing. And that's been our mindset the past couple seasons, and we've come close, but we haven't been able to secure it yet. But a thing that I would say that's sticking out to me a lot more and uh, what kind of team we're going to be this year is I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a, the past two teams that have gone, uh, what was it, 13-1 and one, and then 12-2 and two, and then 6-0. and oh. So, like, you, I've been able to see the growth of what it's, what it's been. And sophomore year, we were those hungry guys that didn't know what it was like, and we were just – we kept on winning. And then junior year – I'm not gonna lie. We kind of, we kind of like felt like we knew we were better than people, and I, that's something I didn't really like. And it, it sat with me all season. Where it was like, whether it be on our Thursday practice or on game day in the first quarter, like you, we knew we had more to give. And so that, that, I think that was our issue last year. And I think that's that's something that we nipped in the butt because this year we're we're real hungry again. You know, like we we know teams aren't gonna roll over just because we're better on paper and. Even if we are, we're going to go in there and prove it to you. We're going to beat teams by 50 week in and week out. And I think with a big thing with that is the dedication in the off season. what we've done with our summer program. We've had good trainers in all year, and we're doing things that we haven't done in years past, and it's noticeable. Like, you can see just in these past couple weeks alone, guys are moving a little bit faster, jumping a little bit higher, lifting a little bit heavier. So I, I think it's about to be real dangerous this next upcoming season. When does fall camp open up, Jimmy? August 9th is going to be our report date, and then I'll go up until first week of school, and then we start the season off September 4th at home versus Ashland. How have the offensive linemen improved during this off season? How have you improved? Obviously, you guys, I'm, I'm sure, are training together. Just in small small things like that. Like I said, uh, I have two of our offensive linemen already living with me at my house, and then we have three to four other guys live within five to ten minute driving distances. So literally just, just yesterday, that freshman that I uh, mentioned, Marco, the guy that brought in the pizzas, he was over at the house with me, and we did footwork for over an hour and a half because he was having trouble getting a little too far extended on his kick steps, and he was looking a little off balance. So we're working on that a little bit. So it's just like it's, it's little chances that we get. There'll be another buddy like uh, Adam Riggler. He'll text me and just see if I'm available for an hour or so because he's going to the field. So that's something I like where no one on our team is doing something to get ahead of someone else. You know, it's like, hey, I'm going to the field. Come with me so we can go be great. Like it's not, hey, I'm going to the field. Don't come so I can stick out. Jimmy, you, you talked a lot about the team and so forth, but now you, you get a little uh... – more personal here or more selfish, if you would. Give us a scouting report on Jimmy Burchett and why he'll be an NFL player. Plain and simple, I think it's just because my work ethic for it, you know. It's something I really want, and I think the best is still yet to come. In the, in the past couple of seasons, I think I have progressed and become a better football player, but I don't think I'm anything near them. There's still so much more room to grow and so much more learning to be made and I'm just hoping I get the chance to do so and show somebody. And if I ever got the chance, I'll be giving it 110% effort and giving my all and leave it all on the table. Have you noticed any NFL scouts at games? 
in particular, I haven't noticed them, but I have heard they were at a couple games last year, especially at the West Liberty game. And we won 70-7, to so hopefully that was a good show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I tell you what, Jimmy, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks again for sharing your story. Go ahead and tell our listeners how to reach you on the socials. Okay. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you for having me. And so on Twitter, it would just be Jimmy B underscore 57. And then uh, on Instagram, it would just be Jimmy Burchett 67. So I like to keep it simple. I appreciate you guys having me on. I really do. Good luck this season. Hope to hear, hear from you down the road. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Y- y'all have a great one. So thanks again to Jimmy Burchett, offensive lineman from Notre Dame College in Ohio. Great guy, great character. Hope he uh, progresses well through his football journey and continues on next year in the NFL. Alex, what do you think? Great that we've got training camp back, but you know, I guess the downside is all of a sudden you start seeing the injuries, and the injury bug hit Indianapolis as hard as anybody. I mean, arguably the two most important people on their offense now out 5 to 12 weeks with the same exact injury. I mean, unbelievable. And we're talking about Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson, who are two of the most important players on their team. And Carson Wentz, we know the story. I mean, he got traded from the Eagles, went to the Colts, and, you know, they were – hoping that he was going to resurrect his career with, with the same coaching staff that had so much success with him with the Philadelphia Eagles. It always makes me wonder, Lou, everybody knows the story. I mean, starting quarterbacks go down, and this, this happens every year. It makes me think, like, why don't franchises, these so-called smart GMs, why don't they address the, the backup quarterback position? In my opinion, the most important position in the room. And if your starting quarterback goes down, you got to have somebody that with the capability to step in and, and start. I mean, are you telling me that the Colts are happy having Jacob Eason, who's in his second year, who's drafted in the fourth round? He hasn't taken a snap in, in the regular season. You've got Sam Ellinger, the rookie quarterback from Texas. I mean, are you kidding me? Knowing that Carson Wentz is injury-prone. This isn't something new. He's had injuries with the Eagles. He's had torn ACL. I mean, you had to address the, the backup quarterback position. You let Jacoby Brissett go, and now the Colts, in my opinion, are in serious trouble. Well, it's, I guess it's one thing to know that that's the most important position in the room, depending on the team. And in this situation, obviously, you've got an injury-prone uh, would-be starter. I guess the other one is finding a capable one that you can trust. Now, you know, in Chris Ballard's defense, you know, they've had Jacob Easton now. This will be his first full off season. He was there last year to go through all the virtual stuff, got to watch Phillip Rivers. So they must feel comfortable with him. Let's see if he can do it. I mean, the important thing for the Colts is that they do have, now again, before the Quentin Nelson injury, they have a great offensive line. They've got a, a superior defense, so they don't have to put it all on Jacob Easton's shoulders. And hopefully this isn't a a season-ending injury for Carson Wentz. They're saying five to 12 weeks. You know, there's reports out there all sorts of different ways. So we just have to kind of wait and see how this plays out. You brought up something interesting as we were leading up to the show. Off-air was Nick Foles. 
Nick Foles is sitting there and, and now the third string quarterback. I mean, we talk about, okay, who would be available? Who could you go get that has that starting experience that could kind of do something? And we've seen this story before in Philadelphia. Would Indianapolis dare bring in Nick Foles knowing that, you know, what happened in Philly, knowing how fragile Carson Wentz was there? Could you imagine that? I mean, could, seriously, could you imagine the Colts making that call and bringing Nick Foles in? I'm sure Chris Ballard has thought about it, but I don't think they're going to make the move just because... No! <laughs> I can't imagine them doing that just because of the, the whole story with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. And Wentz has never been the same ever since Nick Foles won that Super Bowl, so I don't think they want to relive that story again, but... If you're looking for a backup quarterback, Nick Foles makes a lot of sense because the Bears have Justin Fields, the Bears have Andy Dalton, Nick Foles has a lot of money tied up, and I'm sure some team is going to trade for him like at the end of training camp, but I don't think, I just can't imagine that it's going to be the Colts. How about Phillip Rivers? I mean, I saw a story on Yahoo that Phillip Rivers is staying ready, so that makes me think that you know he's been the starting quarterback there last year. I'm sure Ballard is going to make that move before Jacob Eason gets the the start opening week. It's hard for me to think that he would come back for a full season. You know, I mean, I could see if somebody gets injured, like maybe going down the stretch, and he can kind of lead a team, maybe take them into and through the playoffs. But for him to make that decision to leave the coach's team and come back at the beginning of a season, regardless of what his affinity is for the Colts or, or for Ballard or, or whoever, I don't know that any of that's going to enter into it. So that I'm not sure. Where's Chase Daniel, the senior backup quarterback in the NFL? Who is he with now? I have no idea, Lou. Is it the Chargers, maybe? He's been like the backup quarterback for like half of the get our re- Get our research people on that right now. Where, where's Chase Daniel? Where did he, come on, somebody, somebody's going to want him to play, right? I mean, he's always available. But no, seriously, I mean, who's out there? I mean, other than, you know, you, you have to trade for him. You know, Nick Foles, you have to pick up his salary or hope, you know, that the, that the Bears – would continue to pay a portion of it. So who else is out there? I have no clue whatsoever at this point. I guess it's it's great to say to have a guy, but you know, typically those guys, when they get to that point, they want to get paid. I mean, like somebody like Jacoby Brissett, I mean, he got a pretty decent amount of money. You're not going to be able to keep paying him top dollar when you're trying to build, you know, a team. And can you really afford to to have that guy? And by the way, you know, making that that kind by of. By the money. way, you're a Chase Daniel aficionado because. He is with he the Chargers. with the Chargers. He is the backup quarterback yeah. to Justin Herbert. But he's backed up Drew Brees. He's backed up Matt Stafford. He's backed up, you know, who a number of guys in Chicago. He was with the Chiefs for Has a while. Has he been with, like, I mean, every franchise? God, he's, I think it's his 13th year. He's never been an official starter. I know he started one game for the Chiefs, like it was like the last game of the season. Maybe, you know, Alex Smith was either injured or they were sitting him for the last game, whatever. I don't recall. And he, obviously he's come in in 
situations where the starter's gotten hurt. I mean, that makes sense. That's obvious. He's made so much money for just being ready to take the reins and never really having to for an extended period of time. And he's he's my hero, I think. I really, he's the best. I've already mentioned it. I think it should be Phillip Rivers because he knows the system. You know, it's the same offensive system there with Frank Reich. He was the quarterback there before. He had some success. I just think this is an emergency situation. The Colts are in position to win that division. They can't just fall apart. You can't have Jacob Eason being your starting quarterback. I think you plug in Phillip Rivers, you sign him for whatever, eight, ten weeks before Carson Wentz is ready, and you let him go ahead. If Phillip wants to stay around as a backup quarterback, as like an insurance policy, I'm all for that. But if he's willing to stay for like half of the season before Wentz is ready, I got to go with it. This is a do or die situation, and I would much rather have Phillip Rivers than Nick Foles. I would much rather have Phillip Rivers than Chase Daniel. I mean, to me, it's an easy solution, easy answer. I get it done. I get on the phone. I get it done today. Well, let's see. I mean, obviously, it's going to play out. I mean, again, I think Rivers is on record as saying that he's not ruling anything out as far as a late season comeback, but. Here we are, you know, at the beginning of the season, and yeah, I mean, if the Colts had their druthers, he'd, he'd probably be there tomorrow. But now we got another quarterback, you know, Dax coming back from his uh, serious leg injury, dislocation of the ankle, broken leg. I mean, it was just a horrific injury, and that seemed to be moving on track. He was ready for, for training camp. And here we are, out of the blue, shoulder soreness, a tweak. You know, they're not being very specific about what it is, just that, hey, we're going to be careful, which makes sense. But with all that focus on the ankle and leg surgery, I mean, was did they not take care of the arm as well? Did he not throw as much? He wasn't able to he wasn't able to throw as much. You know, you, you can't really plant on a broken leg. So, you know, he's throwing from his knees. You know, was that enough to get him ready? I mean, his quote was, you know, maybe he didn't warm up the arm well enough before practice and then he, he got the twinge. This seems to me like something that could potentially linger. I mean, I hate to be a fear monger or anything like that. You hope it doesn't. I hope he's ready to rock and roll here at the beginning of the season and you know, Dallas has their best chance. You know, it's a little concerning when a week after it happens, he's still not throwing the ball, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, maybe they're on the cautious side, but it is something that you need to pay attention to. And again, last year, the Cowboys had Andy Dalton, who stepped in for Dak Prescott when he went down. This year, Andy Dalton signed with the Bears. They've got Cooper Rush, Garrett Gilbert, and Ben DiNucci. Look, Jerry has been around for like 30 years. I mean, this is a guy that should know you got to have a capable backup quarterback. None of these three guys on the roster inspire much confidence. And I get it that Cooper Rush has been around forever, but this isn't a guy that has stepped in and, and started a lot of games. He knows the offensive system, but you got to be kidding me. So the Cowboys might be a team on the phone with Nick Foles and the Bears because – I mean, they, they've got to solve that situation. You don't know what you have in Dak, uh, just like this situation basically revealed. Uh, he might be out for like a couple of weeks. You need a capable backup. So to me, Nick Foles would be a great answer for the Cowboys' problems here. 
and you would think they'd want to do something, you know, sooner than later because if you do bring somebody and he has to play, you got to get him ready to play too. Not having been in your system, you know, obviously he's been in the league for a long time. It's not going to take him forever to pick things up. But yeah, sometimes you know it does take a while. He's got to get used to those those three receivers that are you know all world. You know, three of them put together is probably the best uh, uh, receiving core in the NFL. Or pretty much, you know, got to be in the top three, right? Can Foles do it? You know, I mean, it's not like he's played lights out forever, but, you know, what is the alternative? That's what we're saying. You know, are, are there other guys out there available? Is there anybody on the street? Probably not, because if they were capable, they would be on a team, or at least in somebody's camp trying out. You know, it is a very difficult position to be in because it is such an important position. Should they have drafted somebody? But then what does that signal? You know, you Green Bay, they, they draft a quarterback in the first round to you know basically be a backup heir apparent, and it blows up in their face. You know, do you take somebody in the later rounds like Minnesota did? They took Kellen Mond, I believe, was it the third round this yeah. year? Are you comfortable with a rookie being the backup? I'm asking you specifically, Alex. I mean, do, would that be a better solution than just waiting for things to implode and trying to find somebody on the street? No, I'd much rather go with a backup quarterback who's been a veteran, who's been in the league, instead of throwing a rookie out there because you're going to go through some growing pains. It's one thing to have a first-round rookie quarterback, but if we're talking about guys in the middle rounds or late rounds, too much of a risk, especially with Mike McCarthy trying to keep his job because, I mean, it imploded last year with Dak Prescott not being in there, the defense playing so poorly. You've got a new defensive coordinator this year. The expectations are at an all-time high with the Cowboys every year. You know Jerry is going to hop on his radio show, and after training camp is over, he's going to say, hey, the Cowboys are Super Bowl bound. What the hell does that say to Mike McCarthy? He can't have, like, a, a guy, a rookie quarterback, you know, running that system, he needs to have Dak in there because the expectations with that weak division that the Cowboys should win the NFC East. They've got so much talent on that team. With Mike McCarthy's situation, him being on the hot seat, there's no way that, you know, unless drafting a quarterback in the first round, which they weren't going to do, to cause a stir with Dak Prescott and his people, you got to bring in a veteran. Like I said, the usual suspects, call Phillip Rivers. Let's get Nick Foles in there. If Dak Prescott goes down, there's no way you're going to make the playoffs with Cooper Rush, Garrett Gilbert, and Ben DiNucci. The way I hear it, you're saying that should be something that they do even irrespective of this latest injury or shoulder soreness. They should have done something like this way before. Absolutely. Absolutely, especially with the quarterback coming off a serious injury. You don't know what effects he's going to have. And, the, you know, and right now you're taking too much of a risk. Even if surgery went well, it's still you don't know. Better to have a backup plan at the most important position in the league. All right. Well, again, for Dak's sake, let's hope and Cowboys fans out there that, uh, you know, Dak is okay. This is just precaution and he's fine and, you know, he can play the entire season. Now, speaking of camp, I mean, these are a couple of things maybe we didn't bring up, you know, during the course of our conversations before the show. But a couple of incidents that happened yesterday, and this, again, tells you that the training camp 
is in full gear and guys are, are getting a little nasty. Pads come on. So the Giants had a fight in their practice and somehow Daniel Jones ends up and, and like gets piled on. And Joe Judge, I guess, goes ballistic, wind sprints. They're doing all sorts of things, you know, disciplinary things. He just stopped practicing. Okay, we're just we're just going to run and you know, whatever. Other than do something like that after the fact, how do you prevent things like that? You know, guys are you know they haven't had pads on forever. Now all of a sudden, hey, we're going to hit each other. We're playing football now. Tempers flare, and off you go. Is that a good thing that guys, not necessarily the fight, but that at least they're that hungry that and that competitive that they really want to get off after each other? I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but this is football, Lou. This happens in high school and college and the NFL. I mean, tempers flare. Guys get after each other after some big hit offensive team and defensive squad they get into it the Giants have had some some tensions coming from their training camp stories there was a Kelvin Benjamin story out there where uh, Joe Judge and Dave Gellerman decided to try out Kelvin Benjamin at tight end apparently didn't work so they cut him and Kelvin Benjamin said some not-so-nice things about Joe Judge, that he's kind of a know-it-all, that he's never going to win the Super Bowl. So it seems like there's some things brewing with the New York Giants. And we know Saquon Barkley is coming back from an injury. We know that Daniel Jones is kind of in a, in a make-or-break year. And you know that if he doesn't you know, become the quarterback that Dave Gettleman hoped that he would become, that he, the Gettleman and Daniel Jones are going to be gone next year. Everything is at an all-time high in New York right now, it seems like. And it, it's not surprising that, you know, you know, there was something brewing at practice and, and there was a brawl happening. The ultimate power that the coach has is to, you know, you can you can be cut. I mean, if you're doing something that's that's, that's out of bounds or something that he, you know, believes is an egregious thing and you don't deserve to be there. And so there was another incident with the Panthers. Uh, Keith Kirkwood, wide receiver, they're, you know, they're going through, you know, team drills or a team period. The wide receiver goes out for a pass, you know, it's, it comes in a little bit high or, DBs are closing in, and there was what the coach called an unacceptable hit by cornerback JT Ebay. And it was, I mean, I saw, they, they, they showed the play on, uh, I don't know if it was SportsCenter or NFL Network or whatever, and it was, I mean, it definitely would have been a targeting call in, in the NCAA and a helmet-to-helmet shot in the NFL. But JT Ebay doesn't have to worry about the Panthers anymore because he got cut. So that was Matt Rule's way of just saying, okay, we're not going to, you know, this is unacceptable. Yes, we have to practice football. Yes, we have to play football to practice football, right? But, you know, at a certain point, there, you have to draw the line. And, uh, you know, you've got these guys, whether they're, they're uh, rookie free agents or draft picks or street free agent, you know, whatever you want to and they're fighting for a spot. And maybe they get a little too overzealous to make a name for themselves or to show out on the field and stuff like this happens. So, but I guess ultimately the coach has the final say. And in this case, Matt Rule wasn't, okay, we're not going to do wind sprints or up downs or Oklahoma, whatever, whatever you want to throw at him. No, you're gone, buddy. Glad to see Matt Rule is in charge. Whatever you want to say, college coach, whatever this guy, he you know, he's got control of his team, and obviously he saw something that was just unacceptable, and 
that dude is gone. So that's going to do it for us this week, gang. Love having Alex talk about injuries and backup quarterbacks. We hopefully will be talking about games soon enough. But anyway, we'll, we'll do our due as, as we get through the training camp season here. For my partner, Alex Kaptoff, I'm Lou. As always, on the way out, we wish you peace.